Welcome to the internet. Live from the Marriott, Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Redline Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Holland, and these are my co-hosts. Laryngitis Dunstan and... Alex Fielder. Today we're talking about the Little Cottonwood Canyon gondola plan and whether or not it's a good idea. And uh, this the, will... All the surrounding controversies. Yeah, there's going to be um, a lot and... Um, now the ski season's calming down, it's a good time to yeah, talk about it. So everyone, everyone around here loves the gondola, as everyone listening knows. Yeah. It's everyone's favorite project. Completely yeah. non-controversial. And then they propose other stuff, which is Better. sometimes just as interesting. Yeah, can we just run so. some buses and get a tracks expansion quiet, already? Quiet. Well, anyway. You're spoiling it. Oh, yeah, sorry. All <laughs> this after the news. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. The news. Honolulu's new metro system, Skyline, is finally open after over 50 years of planning and nearly 10 years of delay and cost overridden construction. The first segment, which is the most suburban character and runs between Kapolei and Aloha Stadium, is now operating trial service until such a time as the other two segments, which will take the line to the city center, are completed. So far, the train has been a hit, meeting and exceeding ridership projections for the first week. So, although the final opening of the troubled city sections may be nearly 10 years away, the future is looking up for rapid transit in Honolulu. Yeah, so... I'm glad people are having fun foaming over the, like, fun foaming. the part it's that goes through a field. When things normalize, it, the segment one, when it's operating by itself, is expected to carry about 10,000 people a day. That's actually pretty good. W- given that it's fully automated, grade separated, and like 10 miles long, not so much. No, that's but only 1,000 people per... Which is worse we pulled than out on that. We pulled out on the S line. Yeah, <laughs> at one point we did. Oh, yeah, we and, used to, and we've got like and, 500. Um, but once segment two, which is technically scheduled to open in 2025, I'm betting about 2027, <laughs> that's the one that takes it to the airport and kind of to the edge of downtown, uh, opens, then there will be like 50,000, or like... 30,000 and then when the section 3 which takes it into the city center itself is open in 2031 so we can probably guess about 2035 for that one if it gets built at all then there will be supposedly about 100,000 riders a day on the whole thing. Lovely. Jeez. That sounds great if they finish it. I wish the project ran smoother because I know there's a lot of people that have torn into it and a lot of people saying, why didn't we just build more highway? Maybe. Not normally one to agree with like libertarians who are ranking on transit projects, but this is unequivocally one of the worst run public projects in this country in the 21st century. You don't spend d- d- you d- uh, that much for a fully e- elevated system. It's it literally a concrete sense. viaduct. Yeah, yeah. it's... It's not. It's nothing new. I hope the rest of it runs smoother, but I'm not gonna it's be not banking on it, especially the downtown section. If that's you believe, well, they're they are working on it. They're doing utility relocations at the moment, but 
it's not under construction, which is very concerning for me, and I feel like it should be under construction so that it gets built. That no, would be funny. It really should have been, like, the trial getting everything smoothened out in that first section, and then really getting into it and really hitting hard going through the rest of it. The real question is why didn't they build the city center section for which is supposed to have, like, half the ridership first, is my big question here. That's a wonderful question. It would be nice to have an answer. Instead of the weird suburban urban section that doesn't go anywhere. I would suspect it's because <laughs> the weird suburban section was the easiest part to build. Well, Although it was it that easy? Apparently not. <laughs> you think it would be easy to run a concrete viaduct through the middle or of nowhere. Fields, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> over Hopefully the next anything. X amount of years. Man, they should have built this in the 70s. This has been the news trademark. Do 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 do. Yeah. All right. So who's starting <laughs> section two or the, the show? The show. Uh, I can start the show. So. Now that Utah ski season has finally ended and the conversation around transit options for the traffic-choked Little Cottonwood Canyon has cooled off a bit, I think it's finally time for us to do an in-depth look at the issue. Whoa. Yeah, because it's funny because as the weather got warmer, the debate around it cooled down. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> Well, surprisingly, this... Canyon hasn't just been home to ski resorts. There's actually a shocking amount of history that's happened, and um, crazy, quite a bit of Mormon history too. Contrary yeah. to Udot's belief, the canyon is not the canyon is not a vacuum that contains two <laughs> ski resorts and a base. No way. <laughs> just so. What is Little Cottonwood? And where did it come from? You're not even supposed to be talking. Did God God create Little Cottonwood Canyon specifically for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and other relevant questions? And which of the the seven days did he create it on? Uh, 69. (laughs) I like to think it was a last-minute addition. He was like, oh, no. And no, I forgot this. No. And hereby he gifted mankind skiing, and it was good. Praise the Lord, it was amen. pretty, pretty dope. <laughs> well, yeah, Little Cottonwood Canyon is the su- southernmost of the two Cottonwood Canyons, opening a huge rift in the Wasatch Mountains near the eastern edge of Sandy. It's a U-shaped glacier-carved valley composed primarily of granite rock, and it's known worldwide for its huge snowfall and... Um, very, very steep terrain. Oh yeah, glaciers, total last minute addition. <laughs> it's also a crucial watershed for much of the southern half of the Salt Lake Valley, supplying most of the culinary water for cities like Sandy, Draper, and Cottonwood Heights. Yeah, which is why you are, if you live in Alta or Snowbird, because there are actually people who live in the canyon, not very many. This is true. Uh, you're not allowed to own a dog. Cause dogs because just aren't dogs aren't allowed there. Dog shit, yeah. And, and, and piss. And pee, and you don't want that in your drinking water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen, like, the City Creek Canyon maintenance. They've got people going up there, like, pulling deer corpses out of the water a- ASAP, so I'd imagine it's similar here. Yeah, big cottonwood also bans dogs. Um, Mill Creek doesn't. Mill Creek's, like, the only place. But. Oh, that's because it's Mill Creek, and, you know... 
Human activity in Little Cottonwood Canyon was largely... <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> that sounded too ad hoc. Do that again. Human activity in Little Cottonwood Canyon was largely industrial prior to the 1940s. The canyon was the site of a silver rush, and more than 8,000 people are said to have lived in the canyon at its height. Yeah, so Alta and Snowbird weren't always just like, you know, quaint little hamlets. There was like Mining. a lot of people there. Yeah. There, there was a lot of claims, too. If I can find a map of how sectioned it was, it like, and the, the names <laughs> of the mines are also just so funny. Gold miner's daughter. Oh yeah, that's that's where the the lodge name came from. Yeah, is probably a reference. What so. silver does to an NMF. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in nineteen thirty-five, notable skier Alf Engen, yes. Engen, yeah, was hired by the U.S. Forest Service to explore the upper reaches of the canyon and determine if they were suitable for ski areas. And boy, did he ski yeah. in the area. <laughs> he, Look, Little Cottonwood's a fun place to ski. There's a lot of good terrain, even probably before you could just, you know, go straight down a slope or whatever that yeah. tour skiers do. And it's also one of the, like, most, the places in the, in the world with the most backcountry trails that you can just walk up to. So, like, it's a great place to ski. And Alf Engen, who is kind of, you know, the father of American skiing in a lot of ways, really liked it and he was like hey you gotta build something here yeah well yeah he expressed enthusiastic support after having a look around and several local business people soon began gathering funds to build the place and as it turns out the Wasatch Range receives uh, uniquely fine powdery snow as a result of its proximity to the Great Salt Lake and it gets a lot of it so greatest snow on earth there's no (laughs) greatest snow on earth there is no, um, I don't think there's been a year this century where Alta has received like less than 500 inches of snow in a year. Like they get, this gets a lot of snow. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's post climate change, mind you. Well, and that's. So as long as the lake's still physically yeah, present. As long as we still have lake effect. <laughs> Which I guess people don't think about when they think about the lake is industry. But uh, Alta Ski Area opened in 1939 with a single chairlift, which cost 25 cents to ride. I didn't know they had chairlifts that early. This was actually the second, like, modern-style chairlift in the country. Oh. Like, you know, because modern, you know, it only you could only do rope poles for a long time because yeah. there just wasn't the technology. But in, like, the... the the mid 1930s, they invented like the, like the metal clamp chair. deal yeah. with the hanging chair. So this was the second one in the United States. Cool, yeah. that's a big deal. It's a good place to put it. And unlike today, where you get like a day pass or a four-hour pass or whatever, it's paper you ride. pay 25 cents per ride on the ski lift. That hmm. makes sense. What's that? Kind of like that. I wonder if that is <laughs> inflation adjusted. Yeah, look it up. I want to see how much that is. <laughs> yeah. If that translates I to the cost of a ski pass today. Oh, there's no way it does. For like 20 runs, like, because that's what you can do in a day, really. It's like 20. Uh, 20 that runs. is $5.50 a ride, which, not bad. Beats walking. It's. Yeah. <laughs> I've paid more for worse. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. Yeah. 
Well, Snowbird, the second ski resort in the canyon, wouldn't follow until 1971, and both locations remained largely local affairs until the 90s when they began to modernize their operations and attract more visitors. So um, they had the first, Alta had the first detachable chairlift in the United States in 99, I think. It was only a tri-chair, which <laughs> really gives you an idea of how much uh, ski lift technology has advanced Quite in just the past 20 years, because we went from, like, you know, everything just being your two-chair six lift. Alta has a six-pack now, they and call it. Yeah, and now everywhere is just high-speed quads all over the place, so it's really been a good, good couple of decades if you're a skier for, like, getting to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And that fuels into the expanding the horizons of skiing and attracting more people from farther away because you now have magically higher capacity thanks to technology. Yeah. And that's exactly what the 2002 Olympics did. Basically, <laughs> we were like, okay, world, we have fantastic snow. Come do us. Anyway, the resort started to skyrocket, and that's when they really put in really advanced and high-capacity lifts. And in Snowbird's case, a large aerial tram. It's a very impressive yeah, beast. I don't remember how many people it can carry. Lots. Isn't it like Several 80? dozen. You can probably get 60, 60 I, I want to say. Yeah. In one go, which is a it, lot of people. It, yeah. it, it's such, it's it's a really big it's ride, like a too. It's bus. Yeah. It's kind of scary. I, I think. Oh, bigger, definitely bigger than bus. It's, it's too big to fail. That's because so. you're not a skier and you're not used to being suspended high in the air on a cable. Yeah, I don't yeah. like, I, I'm, I'm, I like the ground. I'm, <laughs> not, a big, I'm not a big air guy. Sitting unprotected in yeah. slightly sloped back chairs. <sighs> See, I have a been few skiing before. Feet above the ground. Yeah, I know. I know. It's not as scary as the lift at Solitude, which goes down. Oh yeah. That thing is the summit chair at Solitude, because <laughs> you know most of the time skiers only really go up, mm -hmm. like they don't go actually down. This lift, it's the summit chair at Solitude, actually goes down. And the first time I rode that. I almost, I almost shat my pants. I was so freaking scared. I was like, yeah. "What the heck is going on here?" Were you like grabbing on? Like, I, I don't like normally, I don't normally use the bar because yeah. I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, I've been skiing for like you, you seventeen to. years now, and I'm not as, not scared of ski lifts anymore. Mm -hmm. You best believe I yanked <laughs> that thing down and like was like. White <laughs> knuckled, pushing myself yeah. back against the seat. Yeah, I can imagine. Imagine if they stopped that, like really fast, one of their emergency stops. Yeah, no. <laughs> that'd be no good. No, thank you. But, um, again, uh, after the Olympics, they really modernized their facilities, allowing more people up there to park, sleep, eat, and um, just ski up in the canyon. There's big. Big hotels, to be honest, There's pretty nice hotels too. They aren't like they aren't like like the hotels that Alta and Snowbird and Solitude and Brighton have are not that great compared to you know a lot of other more famous like Vale. They have like a billion <laughs> hotel rooms, mm -hmm. but they still have a lot of hotels now, and they have a lot more parking than they used to, and they yeah. have know facilities and new lifts and all sorts of stuff well, and overpriced food correct, it's not that overpriced correct me if i'm wrong but like pretty much most ski resorts are owned by Vail these days right? ski resorts like the canyons Vail. right well there's, there's two competing dynasties there's Vail and then there's the other one which name i can't remember and they own collectively like 
three quarters of the, yeah. the, the the resorts in the world, and basically all of the famous ones. Yeah, so and, and they treat their workers really well, and, and they treat, their workers and they so treat well. Skeep Troll fantastically. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and they're so good. They're class acts. They're so, so good to their customers as well. Oh, I think that. They're, they're not, like, super concerned about, like, taking oodles of money. And, uh, yeah, no, the fantastic company. The U.S. Yeah. breakup unhealthy <laughs> monopolies me, and duopolies challenge impossible. Makes me grateful yeah. that um, the ski resort I grew up skiing at is run by a public benefit corporation and not a... Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and, and it shows in the lift ticket prices. Uh, yeah, like, I, I was wild when I moved here and I started thinking about going to ski. Yeah. And I look at the lift ticket and I'm like, what the heck? That is $120 for one day? That's like a weekend at Bogus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, food's twice as expensive, too. It, it, and cha-ching, worse. Cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> yeah, it's, well. We could talk about fail for a long time, but we could. Uh, we're talking about Little Cottonwood Canyon, so oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so, so a lot, a lot of people going, going to go ski. Yeah, and, and you know, cargo burr. Yeah, estimated two point one million visitors um, each year, and so. that's only in Little Cottonwood, mind you. Yeah, and they bring with them one point two million cars. So a year. Uh, imagine the big Cottonwood. <sighs> I'm imagining it's probably a similar number. Yeah, it can't be that much. Big Cottonwood's a bit smaller because they've got less parking, which also means they've got less traffic snarls. That is true. Because Big Cottonwood is actually a more difficult terrain to build in than Little Cottonwood, somewhat paradoxically. They only have like 3,000-something spaces in uh, Big Cottonwood compared to the 5,500 in Little Cottonwood. Mm -hmm. Well... with this 2.1 million visitors, uh, estimated 1.2 million cars drive up the single two-lane highway each year. Which means <laughs> so three thousand over 3,000 cars on any given day and as and many way as more on powder days. 7 to 10,000 on peak days. Yeah, yeah so just uh, that sinking. two-lane highway, which has a capacity to move maybe 800 cars per hour. Yeah. So I mean, theoretically, <laughs> a, a straight, flat, two-lane highway in a vacuum can move up to two thousand cars an hour. <laughs> if the speed limit is freeway speeds, but the speed limit yeah, is and not it's straight, speeds. flat, and in a vacuum. Oh, I see. <laughs> and everybody drives perfectly. <laughs> I see. And there's uh, and no, and there's no, no crashes yep. and no weather. Yep. So. So. Um, <laughs> anyone who is familiar with skiing in Utah is probably aware of the horrific traffic snake that this awakes every single day. Every single all day. Winter. Every and single day. these cars are just idling for hours. The, in, in the red snake? They, the, is that what they call it? The red snake? Because uh, of all the tail, tail lights? I haven't heard that. I've heard that. Sounds fair. I, call, I always call it the traffic snake of, okay. little, of little Cottonwood Canyon. Um, which, and it takes sometimes to get from the mouth of the canyon up to an actual resort over two hours sometimes on peak days, which is wild given that it's like 15 miles. Gee, I wonder <laughs> if there's a way that we could fit more than two people per vehicle. What a concept. Yeah, very interesting. I but, know. Um, I should be like a Victorian <laughs> and, era. And also, there's not enough parking for all these people. So the road, people will get out of their car, like park it alongside the road, like two miles away from the resorts, walk up to the resorts, 
and then walk back down to their car later in the day. It's wild. Never Which mind the operational and safety issues that parking on the shoulder of a Snowden Highway cause. Yep. <laughs> oh, and another fun thing. Little Cottonwood Canyon is one of the most avalanche-prone places in yeah. the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning that the road is constantly being closed. Dude, I don't want to know storm. how much Utah spends on avalanche mitigation logistics because they're always going around the clock. You'd have to. Like, every powder day, powder day, UDOT has been working the entire snowstorm the entire night before to just try and get the road open, well, if possible. Yeah, and this leads us to the problem, which the big kick is just traffic. Because both Cottonwood Canyons have become notorious for horrible traffic with two-hour-long slogs to each of the resorts. Something, something, two people per vehicle and poor driving conditions. Yeah, and obviously there's enough demand for other solutions, so... And, and uh, well, let's not forget the air quality here because oh, yeah. Salt Lake City Valley. and it's Salt Lake Valley is well known for having poor air quality and so having 16,000 cars idling up and down Little and Big Cottonwood Canyons every day all winter does not help but there's no <laughs> other way to go skiing <laughs> but my my um there was an ad that says my tank that i drive is my own personal gondola i saw it at the ski resort that is an actual Wait. ad that was actually a ski resort it was an ad for like an suv or crossover or something that said this is your personal gondola Well, and you know, it might be better if buses. Whoa! So, so <laughs> until last, until this year, we had UTA had that is not we, you know, we being the collective ownership of UTA. And, we are the taxpayers and the voters. Yeah. What can I say? Um. So they had, you know, four buses an hour up Big Cottonwood Canyon and eight buses and excuse me, six buses an hour up Little Cottonwood Canyon. Which is a capacity up up Little Cottonwood of maybe 500 people. They sardine can the things. They really do. They it's, really it's sardine quite can miserable, the actually. They remove a lot of seats, don't they? It's quite miserable, yeah. I ski, will say. I would expect a ski bus to be like coach seating, but no, they just take out as many seats as they can so yeah. they can just yeah. sardine can it. And, and it's really fun to be in those for two hours in traffic, I will tell you. I would not mind the sardine can standing room only. I'm barely not falling over if bus if it only took 20 minutes. I think 90% of people you would be able to run significantly more bus service because those buses would be able to recirculate much faster yeah isn't that crazy you could literally double the bus capacity just by removing the traffic snarls Uh, but kind of the reason this got so much attention this year is that UTA has the same operator shortage that almost everyone has these days and the routes that they chose to cut first correctly I will say or the ski buses. So instead yeah, of non-essential and recreational, instead of our 500 people an hour that we could get up Little Cottonwood, we suddenly had a third of that. 200. Yeah. <laughs> Through the magic of extra sardine canning. <laughs> and so there were only two buses an hour up and down, and it got very bad. And it got well past the point where you had to like wait for several full buses to pass you to make it down. People were in like. Alta and Snowbird parking lots for two, three hours every day to get the bus back down. Mm-hmm. And it's not like traffic wasn't worse or better, but like, you know, that's not fun. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, so. it's just such a bad problem. 
So. But you dot in their infinite, infinite wisdom. wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> infinite wisdom. Uh, as or as I wrote, our benevolent overlords. That you, here you read that. Yeah, one, benevolent wisdom. overlords at U dot region too. Yeah, they've been studying this issue for years, and as much as they would probably like to just fly it in the road, it's not very p- feasible uh, in a canyon as narrow and avalanche I mean, it is, but they piss off a lot of people and spend a lot of money. Well, well, you want to destroy 200 bouldering objectives. No, like I said, <laughs> they would piss well, off a lot of people blowing up half the canyon. And I, I, I'd like to point this out, too. It's a watershed. The but chances of heavy construction and oil. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. The the chances of a pollution nightmare like is not not minimal. Technically possible, but would not 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 gonna fly. Yeah, not gonna fly. No, no, so, uh, something's gonna happen. Although, in their infinite wisdom, one of the alternatives they suggested in the gondola EIS is widening the road just enough to allow buses to go around the traffic snake. Mm-hmm. They, they because you can't solve car traffic apparently there's no technical solutions to that on a road with one bloody entrance point and two major destinations yeah well they studied a number of alternatives including um, enhancing bus service to as many as 24 buses per hour over the current 4 to 8 and even mixed traffic or on the shoulder as Kyle was saying I think that would have been a pretty good idea because you could use the parking rides at at the base and the ski resort parking lots at the top end as staging and Mm. just Circle, 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 circle. Yeah. Um, they also had two different gondola options at either the Kai uh, base, which is near a French restaurant, or <laughs> near the entrance to the canyon. Oh, really bougie French restaurant, like, we should say. Like, probably the most expensive restaurant in Utah, I think. Cool. I, I don't know if I'd go that You're gonna far. going to say Walters is more expensive. I would say Log Haven, maybe. Oh, that's yeah. true. Log Haven's very bougie. Definitely right. But anyway, it's up there for sure, because uh, it's like a French... It has its own, like, tons of acres, to be honest, for a French restaurant, a whole ground, ground crews, and yeah. it's, it's a very impressive operation. Comme nous parlons en français, il est très whack. But uh, either gondola, when completed, would be nearly nine miles long, nearly three times the length of the next longest ski lift or gondola in the world. <laughs> Which, let's just point out how crazy that is. That's... That is objectively pretty cool. American engineering and ingenuity. I I would love if we redirected that somewhere more productive. Like a bloody track (laughs) expansion? Quiet communist. Oh. (laughs) Well, and then they also looked into a cog rail. Fair. When we say look into, we mean that very unseriously because they did not actually look into building it. I think all they did was make a few renders and then they said, okay, we looked they into like, it. They were like, wow, sure, we could put a cog train up there. Let us do no further research on this topic. No, it, it was just appeasement, pretty much. Yeah. But, um, I. This is my section. Yeah, so th- this, is, this is your opinion, so. So. Here's why their selection process for the alternatives was a bit goofy. So what they like to say is that the reason they're doing the gondola is because, you know, there's a lot of things people wanted out of this, like, you know, improvement for Little Cottonwood Canyon, right? They wanted year-round trail. They wanted access to trailheads. You know, you could 
you know, yeah. get to the trailheads without a car. They wanted year-round service. They wanted uh, fast, they, environmentally friendly. Fast and environmentally friendly, and they wanted a solution to traffic. So UDOT has uh, done exactly one of those things because so is the is the gondola uh, what's going to get people to trailheads? No, 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 not at all. And you bus, would need to run separate buses to accomplish that. Well, and the buses that they were going to run could have stayed in service over the summer and could have made stops at trailheads. Easily. But, but UDOT decided that the buses would not make stops at trailheads and would not run in the summer. They as just part decided. Of, as part of their alternative selection. Because that's not like the easiest thing ever to do with As bus. part of their alternative selection because they didn't want to run more buses. And then the cog train was even more a victim of this than the buses were because they pretend like you can't do flag stops for trails and stuff, which is quite common in many, you know, more developed rail countries. Like, you can go hiking from flag stops in Japan. You can go hiking from flag stops in Switzerland. God damn it, you can even go hiking from flag stops in New York State. Well, and <laughs> let's just point out how awesome that is. Like, imagine yes. just flagging down the train once you're done hiking. Mm -hmm. I would yeah. love that. That just sounds like a, such an experience. So it doesn't provide trail access. And then they were like, oh, well, people want summer access. Well, we're not going to do that with the buses, and we're not going to do that with the cog train. Therefore, they are useless. Yeah, we could They weren't even planning on doing that with the gondola, though, were no. they? Yeah. Uh, they are, I think, planning to run the gondola year-round because it's completely autonomous, so there's no reason not to. Well, it would frankly be ridiculous, too. Because we couldn't just run our bus service in the summer or whatever. Right. So so essentially their entire alternative their entire alternatives analysis was based off of trade offs that you don't have to make with the modes that are not gondolas. Well, because they're like, Well, well, we're gonna we're gonna we can't we we're not gonna the gondola doesn't do summer service, but the buses also won't do summer service because We said so. Reasons. The gondola won't do trailhead access, but the buses are also not gonna do trailhead access because reason. And the buses, you know, and and then and then the other thing was fast and environmentally friendly. They're all pretty environmentally friendly options. The gondola yeah. is, you know, it's I, electric. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Even a diesel bus is more environmentally it's friendly more. than le running the cars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like everything is a more environmentally friendly option. But in terms of speed, the gondola, the gondola is, not is fast. by far the slowest option it available. Is I'm looking on their alternative summary. It has the longest travel time listed out of all the alternatives. 53 minutes from uh, the Calle to... It says 63 minutes total, which I think includes driving your personal car to the base. No, 50, it, 53 minutes of travel okay. from, from the base station to Snowbird, or that's, Alta. That's not good. That is a fundamental limitation of gondola technology, which they should maybe it's think about. very slow. And then, of course, they also kneecap the cog train speed because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> reasons, despite the fact that they decided that it would have to be built in a very massively environment, environmentally destructive way. Yeah, instead of... So they're taking the downside yeah. of that yeah. and the downside of a slow, indirect alignment. So, so basically, their entire alternatives analysis for this entire thing was bullshit <laughs> and, and, was, and was meant always to use the option that would disadvantage continued car travel up the canyons the least. Mm -hmm. If I can crap if I can crap on the bus alternatives again, the price tag for the enhanced bus service, like the initial capital cost, not even operations or replacement or anything, is listed as three hundred fifty five million dollars. 
how many buses are you buying? It's <laughs> like replacing the entire UTA fleet of buses, basically. Yeah. yeah. And also for regular enhanced buses, uh, the travel time is listed as 54 minutes to Alta as compared to 36 for the, like, ride-in-the-roadway buses, which makes the assumption that it's, like, physically impossible to reduce the volumes of cars that go up the canyon enough to fix the traffic snarls. Which, this which is... Now they are planning on doing tolling. They are doing tolling. Which they 100% should do. I which, see no issue with that. But maybe they should consider that they could use that tolling technology to fix this travel time number and make it, like, blow the gondola out of the water. You, you could feasibly do metering in the canyon, couldn't you? Like on that, ramp, like, sort of like on ramp metering. You certainly That's could. What they're going to be doing for tolling the canyon. So that would be the tolling. Great. Okay, because uh, I I assumed it would be a fast pass kind of there thing. There already is metering up. The, or if you mean metering, like the amount of cars that the yeah, system yeah, actually yeah. there already is. There's traffic lights at the bottom of the thing that only you know allow a certain number in at a time. So the the main issue. That's not on purpose, but it is like a it feature. is a feature. See, they, they should do it more deliberately, but which is what they're going to be doing to an extent. But they're not factoring this into the bus alternative. No, but they they should because if you metered cars more and you had more buses, you could get significantly more people up the canyon. Yes, just by virtue of it being a bus. And people choosing to ride it because they wouldn't have to pay the toll. And because and it would come every six minutes. Yeah, every because five it would be fast. And, yeah. and I I would say we shouldn't do battery electric buses up there. Just That's because a very it, bad idea. No. which is a big like like alternative students and like uh, students from the Wasatch pushes up here. That's fun, so the technology which, not there yet. Which is is terrible. So very just stick idea. with diesel. Because it's tried and true, well, and gas. I think they run the CNG. Natural gas, yeah, that's fine. But run CNGs and diesel. But right. battery buses in the winter, uh, up a very steep canyon. I I just wouldn't go. I wouldn't even try that because that that's a whole other issue that people will just yeah. And another exactly. thing that they consider, they could consider with the bus alternative that the gondola is not great at is in the morning when UDOT opens the road after doing avalanche control for the past like week or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They can just have a bunch of fully loaded buses ready to go and then send them all up in a row and then just send them back slowly to get the loop started. Well, Whereas with a gondola, you know, you have that constant finite capacity and with the cars, it's just... And back to the buses not being able to stop at trailheads, you could have... The bus stop could, at the trailhead? Well, you could do that, <laughs> but you could also just run express ski lift, yeah. like ski resort buses, and then have every few ones be strictly trailhead. With the you volume. maintain the, the trailhead local ones during yeah. the summer, whereas exactly. all the express buses go out of service. So and let's say you have one every, every 15 minutes for trailheads, and then all yeah. of the other ones are just going to be ski skiers. But, your and fault. they can still get on if they want to take a slower bus, if they care that much. Or if they're not smart enough to recognize the difference. Yeah, yeah. exactly, which is more likely. But there's little there's no issue. There's so many possibilities and so few issues. It's a road. You put a bus on it. Well, so. and let's say the gondola goes down, which it, it shouldn't. It's liable it shouldn't. to have operational issues. But like it's if possible. they're using artillery-based avalanche control, which mm -hmm. they're moving away from, but they still use that now. Yeah. The gondola has to stop and do a full cable inspection before it can continue yeah. passenger. Which operation. is ridiculous because if you have a bus that's not working great, that's not wait. a problem. Here's another bus. Yeah. Isn't that 
like insane. And you, you can keep just, the flow of traffic. You can keep the flow of people. Yeah, and Udot is just overlooking these sorts of operational limitations of the gondola and ignoring everything buses are capable of. Which or better yet, what cogged rail is capable of. That yeah, so cool. that, let's talk about that real quick. So, so I have what I think is probably a more radical solution for what we should do to Little Cottonwood Canyon. Is this you're getting ahead. Is okay. <laughs> Is this a beep 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 beep? The first, yeah, the first one. So I've I have some more radical solutions that could be pursued and would be both more environmentally friendly and probably easier to implement than just about anything else. Number one, close the road of cars and do a Zion Canyon shuttle. We actually have a precedent for closing recreational roads in Utah. Uh, in Zion National Park, the Zion Canyon Road is 100% closed to cars year-round, and the park's National Park Service simply runs an all-day frequent shuttle. Not quite year-round, but like seven to nine months. Well, basically year-round. Any of the time anybody's ever there. Yeah, because yeah. no one's so going there in like January. Seasonally round. Yeah. yeah. So they run. So what we could simply do is stop cars going up the canyon, have no more traffic, and then only service vehicles for the resorts, the vehicles of residents, and buses are allowed. And that's it. That would literally solve all the problems in the snap. Traffic finger. disappears, and you can use the billion parking spaces we have at different track stations as an extended staging ground for all the people that park and take the bus, and then run your 24 or 40 buses an hour if you feel like it. Yeah, and then you'll have all the resort parking lots, which are way more than big enough for bus staging. And then you can put more hotels there. Yeah. <laughs> or 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 worker housing, better yet. Yeah, even better. And yeah, then have yeah. less stuff to plow and sand and flag. Yeah, and that's that'd be that'd be very palatable for people because you still have the road. You could you could feasibly go back to it at any time. Yeah, right. That's very. You could do a one-year pilot, and when it is a big success, because it will be a big success. It will be because travel times will be solved. Travel times will be so mm-hmm. much. Parking than fees and reservations will Parking be solved fees too. Will disappear. You just park at a track station, take a track train to the station where the buses are staged from, probably Midvale Fort Union or better yet, Fashion Place, and then feel like you're on a bus that goes straight up the canyon with no stops. And if You'd you probably eliminate millions of pounds of car emissions. So much carbon. And if you live farther east, it would be pretty trivial for us to make deals with, like, shopping malls and stuff to make use of parking spaces. And, and here's another thing. You can reopen the road to cars in the summer. Concept... <sighs> Like, yeah, that would be literally ideal because a lot of people like to drive their own cars you, for recreational you can, purposes. You can drive your car up the canyon in the summer to recreate, but during the winter we understand there's too much traffic, so we're just going to do buses. This is the easiest solution that would cost basically zero dollars in capital costs at all. All you got to do is <laughs> buy buses or use the buses we have. You would not actually have to buy that many buses. We have lots of buses. It's a shame that you don't. I'll just. It's a shame that you don't. Because that, that. that wouldn't happen. Because Ever. even though it's this, logically a sound idea and it makes perfect sense, all of this isn't designed. and it solves every issue they have. This is not a transportation solution that Udot is proposing. They just want a cargo burr. 
Yeah. One issue I really have with the gondola is the gondola works group. I think there's <laughs> there's got to be some fishy stuff. Yeah, there's such a like powerful lobbying it's group. It's an industry group. It's not a oh, grassroots okay. group. It's an industry group. Yeah. So it's it's run by the industry. So naturally, they're going to have more resources. Yeah, I know, but that's it, pretty <laughs> standard. It feels it's like it's something a, a bit fishy. fishy is going it's on. It's a little fishy, but not in a way that's legal. And no yeah. fishier than usual. And there's no proof of anything too Actually, fishy. there's no proof of anything yeah. that goes beyond the scope of what anyone is allowed to do. Yeah. So, which, yeah. So, um, and then my other, that, so that's a pretty radical proposal already, especially compared to what UDOT is suggesting. But I have actually an even more radical proposal, <laughs> which is get rid of the road and replace it entirely with a cog train. And Americans immediately lose their shit when you suggest... <laughs> <laughs> removing a road. Well, yeah, removing a road, but removing the only road, having a road not be... You know, because you have to have a road to everywhere. Yeah, There's no, sure. But the fact is that in Switzerland there are probably a hundred of thousand a hundred thousand people who live on like rail lines with no road access to the rest of the world. And they haven't like imploded yet. And they haven't died. And in Perisher, Australia, which is Australia's main ski resort, because you know, Switzerland is obviously leagues ahead of us in terms of public transportation and yeah. things like that. But Australia But Australia yeah. is a little more in our league. And what they have for their main ski resort, it's called Perisher is what's called the ski tube. You park, you park at a really big parking lot at the bottom. You can theoretically get a bus there if you want to camp out overnight. Um, and then you get on the ski tube. Which is a giant subway train for skiers with a cog rail on it. Yeah, there's no other way to get to the resort. There's no other way to get to the resort. And no one has died from this. Everyone is fine. And it's extremely environmentally friendly, or would be if you didn't have to drive your car to the bottom of it. Yeah. And we could do this. And because of the way that cog trains work, if we were feeling ambitious enough, we could actually connect it to the tracks network and then run trains directly, directly. from any terminus of tracks up the mountain. So you could, you know, plausibly get on a train at like city center track station in downtown Salt Lake City and step off at Alta. Which would be brilliant. Yeah. Well, you could even just buy buses anyway run, like, express bus service from central terminals. Sure. Like, um, to the base of the canyon. Sure. If you didn't want to connect the train, which you, they wouldn't. You want to connect yeah. the train. You, you, you to connect want to, the but they wouldn't. And, and the funny thing is that Stadler they actually a presented a proposal uh, doing directly that, connecting tracks directly to the cog train up 72nd South. Yeah. To UDOT, they presented it to them, and UDOT decided, of course, to ignore it. What were Stadler's, <laughs> what were Stadler's cost numbers compared to UDOT's? I believe that Stadler's cost numbers were in the same ballpark as UDOT's. That's good, at least. I love Stadler. Meaning that, like, it would be $1.5 billion for the whole shebang, which includes, I should mention, a fully functioning tracks line up 72nd South, which would probably be a great value add for the region. <laughs> and would be a big and expensive undertaking in and of itself. Well, and replacing, well, because that's the main issue that was in their proposal was that the train would, you need to expand. To the we, the yeah. that, that's the assumption that you can't just do the train, which you could. You, you, you literally 
do no damage. It's only positives if you were able to turn up the road and yeah. replace it with tracks. Well, and here's another thing that I think people should consider with regards to the Cogtrain proposal. The front-runner line to Park City is never going to happen because the grades are weird, the alignment is horrible for regional, for modern trains, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So what would probably be a better long-term solution for regional transportation is to have a tracks line that is capable of actually running up Cottonwood Canyon and through the mountain to Park City as, Whoa. Yeah. as like a really a true long-term regional transportation option. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. So that you could, you know, conceivably, yeah, yeah. like, but that's not something we're even considering because we are thinking really small. If we were Switzerland, we might have already built something like that and because that's the sort of thing they build there. And it's entirely possible for us to do the same. So th once again, their whole alternative process was flawed. They're thinking extremely small and they're failing to consider that this could be even beyond serving the resorts and trailheads with flag stops and things like that a really transformative transportation project for the region, if we let it. And never mind that a train is a literally better way of transporting heavy equipment and construction and, materials and for the resorts. Of, and a lot of people, too. I and mean, a lot of people. Yeah. You, you know, a, a tracks train has a capacity of close to 800 people. Get rid of skis and a four, put in skis and a four-car tracks train can probably carry 600 people, which is an entire hour's worth of buses. <laughs> yeah. You can run four of those an hour, and you have just yeah. So so, I I am once again frustrated by American transit and transportation agencies' refusal to think really long term about how this sort of thing could benefit us. Also, the gondola will require a linear transfer at Snowbird to get on Talta, yes, which it will. is fun. That's <laughs> hilarious. We love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. I, I loved the idea of replacing the road with the cog rail, but I I think just in terms of anything actually happening, I think even if we're not make, closing the road is, the road is more palatable. That's just more yeah. possible because I I can't ever see. And even if we're not, well, and most of the time the best option never happens. Yeah. So. And even if we're not going to ever actually build this cog train road replacement, it probably should have been in the alternatives analysis instead of just like a train those cost money and there's only one way to build it yeah, what's we're you thought we don't know how trains the most work destructive way possible so that it gets <laughs> eliminated immediately so has, yeah. has anyone actually proposed closing the road because i've never heard that Stadler. before i so Stadler had a side of the road alignment proposed I read their proposal. That's correct, but unlike UDOT, theirs did not involve destroying everything. Concept. <laughs> but, I, I mean, has anyone proposed closing the road for only buses? Not seriously. That feels because like... That a, lot feels of, a lot of advocates obviously have, but... Nobody the, the clientele of skiers is primarily a very rich clientele, myself included, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My men's podcast wealth. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of pushback against fun. the idea that you can't drive your Chevy Suburban up the mountain. Because it's your like constitutional right to drive a car whenever you want, wherever you want, when without traffic or weather delays. Yeah. Idea. Rich person bus. <laughs> oh, gold. Segregation plated. of the classes. 
You could do that. You could do a bougie <laughs> bath with like pores you, you a could, different door than the rich people. You could you could make someone pay a thousand dollars to get upload in there. You but. could do like I don't know if you can run coach buses, but you could at least do like an all seating bus with like ski valet that costs like an extra twenty bucks, See, and then use that money to fund regular operations. For Cogwell, you could run a trains. You could run a train with different. Different class different cars. Different class cars. To be <laughs> no, but like you, you actually could and charge more and that's have more clientele. It's like a champagne bar in no, the. Like, no, that's comical <laughs> for how short this route is. I mean, but, it's a half hour. Yeah, that's plenty of time to down some champagne before you hit the slopes. You know, and everybody not says, drive home. Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody. You know what everybody says: skiing is more fun drunk. <laughs> I've never heard anyone. Say All that. the people I've seen skiing with beers. I believe I. Sh- well, I guess if you crash, you feel less pain. What does Paltrow be like? <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> well, yeah. If if only we could get ski resorts on the side of closing the road. If only the ski, the ski resorts being veiled. If only the ski resorts would pay for whatever transportation solution we want. If that is another issue. The is ski resorts is paying the yeah, subsidies. Which is if that, the ski resorts wanted to set up a consortium, get maybe some private investors, and fund the construction of a gondola to their ski resorts, which is what UDOT's gondola would be. It just goes to the ski resorts. Then I don't think I'd be morally opposed to UDOT like granting them land uh, we're access. Spending 500 million taxpayer dollars building something that will benefit a very small group of people. So, yeah, yeah I, I'd have no issue if it was just private equity paying for yeah. it. And then we could still do our own bus thing. Yeah. And public again, infrastructure should benefit the general public. And not just a narrow group of the general public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. You don't really build like a grade separated interstate highway to like one factory. One guy's house. One guy's house. Well... Uh, you kind of do sometimes, but yeah, that's like the size of the <laughs> Boeing or whatever. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, I mean, the IDOT in Idaho is building a whole new interchange for the Amazon facility in Nampa, so... That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, see, the, well, the thing with that is you, you get development following the highway, but you wouldn't get any development following the, the, gondola. the gondola. Like, yeah. at all. It's impossible. Because that's true if you build a great separated interstate to one place. There are probably fringe benefits that we're not considering, and it will probably help with economic growth and development. But, like. But to what a degree more than better solutions that are just better? Yeah. Like, uh, sure, so. you, you might have people riding the gondola, but they, they can just go to Snowbird and ride that gondola. Yeah. Take so the bus to ride the gondola. Is it Snowbird? Yes, no, it's not that's not Help that's build? Well, I know, but who, who, who's, who's keeping track? For all right? the hell I care, build a gondola <laughs> from Park City to the Little Cottonwood. That is actually in the long-term plans, if you believe it. Cool. Is to that, see, that one makes more Try sense. and use it as a regional transportation tool. Because that well, would be a place where it makes physical sense. Well, and Godsman except, except it doesn't make any sense, because... You still have to drive to get to the gondola. Well, if we had the actual functioning bus service. And, but well, do you Cogu- really want a system with two linear transfers to get from Park City to Cottonwood Heights? I'm not sure it would actually be that <laughs> bad given the highway alternative, which is less direct. Uh, is it less direct? Yeah, you got to go all the way up Parley's. But Parley's goes into summer? downtown. Oh, yeah, except yeah. in summer, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, well, 
Yeah, there's uh, a lot to think about. Iowa is probably mostly a scam. Yeah. <laughs> also and thankfully, the county council has put off building it until 2040 right now, but a lot of people are pushing very hard for it, so we'll see if that holds. Yep. And, uh, so I know someone you needs to propose the, like, seriously yeah. propose closing the road because so I think you could get a lot more people on board at Curtis Airing. Yeah, yeah. So I know UDOT has immediate plans to start doing road tolling, which I hope aren't being put off till twenty forty. Fingers crossed. Yeah, those should happen tonight. Do they have? Are Are there any plans to amp up bus service in the short term? Because all these alternatives call for during construction. No. More buses. No, we still have a right, big operator. Car. Well, we have an operator shortage, Kyle. Mainly, yeah. it, <sighs> if you if UTA could do it, they would do it, but they can't do it, so they shan't do it. <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. Thank you. So, do you, yeah, do you want to read the conclusion? Uh, and sure. Then, and then yeah. we can do patrons, yeah. and then I can repeat. So, <laughs> conclusion. Although the county council has put off building the thing until 2040, there's a substantial pressure to get it done sooner. I'm not saying that the gondola is the worst option. Doing nothing is far worse. But we need to re-examine the choices and assumptions that UDOT made, which were very bad, uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> when conducting their initial environmental review. And... Um, I guess that's that. That's we'll we'll that. see what happens, because it's... I'm sure the discussion's going to ramp up a lot more in the fall. Oh, or yeah, because we're going to have 30-minute ski bus service again this year. Uh, oh, yeah. Wasn't that one of, the, like, the elective changes? They can't. The contingency changes? They can't do it. They're barely managing to run OGX at this point. When are they going to fix their hiring process? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Is the board going to do anything about anything? What board? I am not allowed to comment on that as a UTA employee. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> also, what what board? Yeah. The, the three-member like, yeah, board they, appor yeah. appointed by the the Utah State government. Uh, I love my favorite government. The government yeah. that the governor Stand has it. pretty direct control over. <laughs> and the church. Shh. Super super majority. Shh. If you like. Well, anyway, uh, thank you to our patrons for letting us do uh, cons conspiracies, conspiracies about yeah. the gondola. <laughs> and talk about stuff we care about and are very interested in. And to title this episode, the, ba the Little Cottonwood Canyon Gondola is a driving project. Yeah, no, well, we're not doing that for every episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it'll be funny. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, our so patrons are at sixty nine point six nine dollars a month. Super duper double track front runner to Park City tier through Little Cottonwood Canyon via Cog Rail. Uh, <laughs> Zach Adams at regular front runner tier. We have Curtis Herring, Devin Zander, Mike Christensen, and Phobos twenty three ninety. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, Red Line tier five dollars a month. We have Brian Smith, Christopher Whaley, DJ. I will. Watkins, generic GT, Jacob Whitecott, Reluctant LA resident, Robert P. Walsh, Scott Harris. Yep, that's that's you guys. That's Rob Line. <laughs> and at Blue Line tier, we have Alex Dykelski, Ben Busath, Bradley Bondi, Elijah Kensler, Ethan McDonald, Evelyn, G4, Gonza 12, Jack Dean, Jesse Mayo, John Heron Gorman, Martin Hecker Martinez, Matt Gray, Old Trolley, and Seth. And at our Green Line tier, $1 a month, we have Patrick Salas. Yeah, Thanks, exciting. everybody. <laughs> Thank you. And Metro Gondola tier one. Being edited. Gondola tier one. Yeah, that'll be our $100 tier. 
because it's going to be so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> also, the cost to ride a gondola, I don't think we mentioned that, has been quoted at like $35 a ride. Yeah, so which, yeah. Maybe if there was a cheaper way to get up the canyon that required less capital and operations expenses. Concept. Mm. And just a crap ton of road maintenance, which we do anyways. Like, I know buses destroy roads at, like, an incomprehensibly high rate. <laughs> but, like, with the amount of maintenance UDOP already does on that road, just related to weather and wear and tear, would not be an issue. Well, in the amount of cars that uh, you would hopefully be taking off the road. Uh, yeah, because... Yeah. How much more road damage does bus do than a car? I would just fully loaded bus would be even more, but we're talking like 500 times as much road damage. Yeah, so take off 500 cars for each. I think that there may be more cars, more damage done by cars than there are by roads, than by buses on Little Conway Canyon. Especially well, currently, but in the hypothetical future when we're when comparing no capacity. That's yeah. true. When buses get, well, when yeah. cars get smaller, they bigger. What about damage per unit of passenger capacity, I wonder? Mm. Well, because you'd need like 25 to 50 cars to equal one of these buses. So we're talking like 10x road damage, maybe. Which X isn't bad. Which again is fine given how many like weather related repairs and repavements they have to do. Yeah. Hmm. Almost like the train would damage. Well, it would damage the road because there would no, be not. no road. Oh, <laughs> 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 good one. Yeah. Damage, damage roads put trains on them. <laughs> damage roads to the point where you have to take okay, them off. You guys can add more banter if you want, but I gotta pee. Perfect okay. thing. I'll meet you outside the bathroom. I hate having the same conversation over and over so many times. Just run some damn buses. Yeah. I thought we meant the conversation where we're like, oh, we should do this, and then it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one I'm capable of ignoring. <laughs> A little bit of cognitive dissonance, never hurt anybody. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah. I just wish people would think more about the alternatives they propose. You should be taking the lead on this. We know the stance of the general public, and we know that that stance is pretty much mostly a result of UDOT's infrastructure investments and the state's infrastructure investments. Mm -hmm. Like, in New York, do people love driving everywhere? No, because they invest in trains, not highways. Mm -hmm. Here, we're continuing to invest massively in highways, which directly affects consumer <laughs> preference. Yep. Like, I'm all for advocate advocacy, but UDOT should be taking the lead on this transportation solution project. See, the thing is, I feel like they're scared of actually trying something different because they know people might actually like it. I don't know what their reason is for that. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Because, like, it doesn't make sense for them to be... Well, it's just so weird. It's like, why wouldn't you try something new? My cynical explanation is that UDOT always has an alarming self-interest in more vehicle miles traveled, or whatever metric you want. So whatever keeps people hooked on driving and keeps people driving everywhere all the time, whether they should or shouldn't, is in UDOT's interest. Hence, why would we narrow straight street? Hence, why would we significantly limit car traffic up Little Cottonwood? Hence, why would we toll any highway ever? Hence, why would we stop widening I-15? Hence, why would we stop building new freeways in the middle of nowhere that get crap all any ridership? See, I, I just wish we'd have a smarter legislature because we could just yeah. give them less money and then they'd have to be smarter about what they want <laughs> to do. And maybe they'd be like, okay, we should shrink that road so we don't have to pay so much on maintenance. Yeah. And maybe 
Maybe we would start getting more stuff done if the they had less money. The legislature controls the UDOT funding levers they, and the UTA funding they levers. Pretty, they pretty much write a blank check for they UDOT. They do. Like, you've, we've seen the I-15 expansion and, the, like, the Mountain View Corridor and all that and all the EIS's funding. Oh. Funds have already been ap- appropriated. Yeah, which... We're going to build it. So the legislature basically writes them a billion-dollar-a-year blank check. Yeah. Whereas UCA has to beg for money and do grant applications and work with the federal government and work with the community mm-hmm. and actually do the EIS process for every single project. They don't get a blank check. They just get to like scrape bits of the operations funding and use them yeah. use them to fund capital projects. <coughs> OGX. <coughs> Mid Valley Connector. <coughs> can, can I ask you a Mormon question? Yeah. Why aren't Mormons more into community and actually maybe wanting equity for people in relation to transit? It's mostly uh, infrastructure and the situation they're in thing. Because yeah. growing up in Graper, the amount of like community that happens like inside my church ward, that's kind of like the unit of